the Lord is going to come and read from Ephesians uh, chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Thanks, Elizabeth. reading this morning is Ephesians chapter 3, starting at verse 14, and that can be found on page 1175 in your church Bible. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is, that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient bearing with with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Well, the heading for the sermon is Keeping the Unity of the Spirit. Um, By the way, if you want to move around, it's warm, isn't it? We're not used to it. We're longing for this weather, and now in ten minutes we might be complaining it's too hot. Such is the British. At least the British Lions did well, didn't they? It's good to have a coach that sticks to his conviction. No, it's true. Pilloried by the press, marginalised by the sporting fraternity, but holding on to his convictions. Pity more Christians don't do that with the convictions that we have. Keeping the unity of the Spirit. I have a dream. The dream that there is nothing like the local church when it is working properly. Sadly, oftentimes it isn't. It can't be if it's made up of people like me and you. However, that's the dream. And when you think about the local church for a moment, often pilloried by society, marginalized from other people, its beauty is indescribable, its power breathtaking, and its potential unlimited. It comforts people in the context of community and accountability and builds bridges into society. It offers truth to the confused and it provides resources to those in need and opens its arms 
to the forgotten and the disillusioned. It is a great dream. And whatever the capacity for human suffering, which is great indeed, as some of you know even personally this morning, yet the Church of Jesus Christ has a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. Still to this day, even this day, the potential of the local church is more than we can grasp. No other organization on earth is quite like it. There you are. That's a dream. And that finds its focal point, of course, in our reading. But let's be honest. You might say, I would, from past experience, I have a nightmare. I remember sharing a wedding with a very fine pastor and uh, going into the vestry before the wedding began and said, how are things going? Pastors always ask that question. And he said to me, I never forgot it, my snowball has melted. I said, whatever do you mean? Well, I came to this church, the rural community, he said, I'm a city boy. And I thought if I have uh, gained a momentum, it will roll and roll and increase and grow. And now it's melted. And I never forgot that. He was a good, fine pastor. I have a nightmare. And I guess so have you. You and I have endured nightmare of dreadful services, we call church, deadly meetings, bitter power struggles, and lingering hurts. Those charged with the high calling of teaching have sometimes spread lies. Those charged with ministry and pastoral care have manipulated and abused people. The broken have stayed broken. And worse still, the lost have stayed lost. It's a nightmare. And one thing you can't do when you come to church is come and pretend. Which do you have? I have a dream. I have a nightmare. Yet for all of that I would say to you the dream is greater than the nightmare. And often if church is boring you may have brought the boredom with you. Church. A group of vibrant, loving risking everything people who are passionately committed to living out the values of the kingdom of God and his word. That's the dream. And that is a plan that is worthy of God himself and nothing secondary will do in place of it. And how do you find the focal point for that? It is essentially in a people who from time to time may not like each other very much. I'm sure that you have cause not to like me, and I definitely have cause not to like you. <laughs> that is true. But liking and loving is not the same. 
And the church is made up of likes and dislikes of people, of every diverse group of people that you can think of. But the unity is found in the love of Jesus that is lived out. And there is nothing like it in all the world. Nothing comes close to it. Unity, the unity of the Spirit. I want us then to look at this in the immediate uh, context here of our reading. You'll see that great prayer. Prayers are meant to be read and explained and sung and shared in all sorts of ways. So, in Ephesians 3, 14 to 21, which we just had read to us, there's the prayer that Christ may fill our hearts. What are our hearts fill, filled with today? Is there more room for Jesus? That Christ may fill our hearts. And the second, that we may be filled with the love of God. And you have it there, in, in that reading that, that we've, we've just had, look in verse uh, 18 and 19, that we may grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. Could we please put our petty differences into the context of that magnificent love? and repent of it, and move on, and be liberated. Of course we disagree. Healthy disagreement is surely a, a, a whole pathway to maturing. It would be utter boredom if we felt that we had to agree on everything. The essentials are an integral part of make us what, what we are. They're outworking. The application is variable, as we know. So easy to get stuck, isn't it? And then you have this magnificent uh, doxology, as we call it. This crescendo of praise. It's passionate in its expression. Verses 20 and 21. So it's no surprise then, and I hope you don't see it as an anticlimax, that when Paul speaks of the glory of the church, the dream, if you like, not the nightmare, the dream is found in the unity of the Spirit. And so, in Ephesians 4, Paul says, Yes, I'm in prison. Not very good at the moment. But, look, I want you look, to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. You've received it. Live it out. Live it out. Live it out. And the purpose and passion of Jesus is that as fellow believers, we should be united, one in spirit, Differences, yes. Diversity, yes, and more. But united, one in spirit. I hope that dream becomes real for you, perhaps more real. And that you might even resolve somehow in your own thinking, say, yes, I'm going to let that go. Trust me, I know of families, church families too, who have divided over such trivia that you would not believe. I'm arranging a funeral and uh, part of the family not even going to attend. What's that about? And these high days and holy days when people can come together and share and listen. And if that's the human family, think about God's family. 
We shall see the ingredients. Now, this is not just, okay, wishful thinking. I'll make a new resolution, and by next week it'll have gone. No, no, I'll put something to you that you can work through, and I can work through. So we're united in truth, in the Holy Spirit, in love, in purpose and prayer. This is God's desire for us. I want us to follow this through with just two things, and very fairly brief things. The first is this, the pursuit of unity. You can't be passive about that. You know the way that Jesus said, seek peace and pursue it. It's not enough that you are a peace lover. You say, I love peace. No, you're a peacemaker. You make peace. And when you do, you'll be shot out from both ends, believe me. It's easy to love peace. Passive love. But an active love, make it. Make it. In difficult situations in your mind, with your colleagues and at home, you can go there. And you have to make it. This is the language of the, of the New Testament. Look, live a life worthy of your calling. Be completely humble. Make every effort. Now, are you doing that? Really? Making every effort. You think of, you know, all these petty issues that go on in life and in church. And put it in the grand scheme of God's glory and grace. It's the pursuit of unity. It is hard work, just like prayer. But it's worth the effort. And so in verse 3, let's, re, let's think about this. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bonds of peace. Making every effort. Uh, when it comes to Christian unity, some of us, if like me on your school report, you would have on most subjects, for me anyway, was could do better. Now you go there and you say, yes, when it comes to unity with my family or with my colleagues at work, a really difficult situation. A lot of backbiting, a lot of criticism. Everybody looking out for themselves. You have to watch over your shoulder all the time. Know about that. Could you say where, you have, where God has placed you that you could do better? Put it on your report. I could do better. Some of you might be a bit disappointed with this sermon because it's terribly practical. When it's theoretical, that's okay. Just agree with it and go home and have Sunday lunch. But when it is practical, when its application is abrasive and challenging and disturbing, that we have to leave differently, well, that is something else, isn't it? It's practical in this sense. Sin is disruptive. Sin is subversive and it is essentially divisive. Ultimately, it is self-destructive. Remember we looked at that vivid picture, the first crime reported in the Bible. I just want you to, you don't have to turn to it, but if you do, it's easy to find in, in the book of Genesis 4. It's a very vivid picture, but it, it encapsulates this truth. You know, Cain and Abel. Family quarrels, grudges, jealousy, that sort of thing. Nothing new about it. People talk about original sin. It's not original at all. It's pretty boring, unpredictable for all of us for the most part. Okay, Genesis 4 and verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, 
Cain just came and said, well, anything's good enough for God, it doesn't really matter. No, it isn't. He is the only one who's worthy of the best of our lives. The Lord said to Cain, verse 6, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, if you make an effort, if you work at it, so Paul is saying, will you not be accepted? But, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, and you must master it. In other words, you master it, or it will master you. Which are you going to do? Now, you can't be passive about that. And Cain didn't. He invites Abel out into the field. And Am I my brother's keeper with palpable cynicism that we face all the time? The pursuit of unity. It's a vivid picture, isn't it? But if that's the negative, then surely the point of our reading is that grace is restorative. It's reconciling and it's healing. By grace you are saved, through faith, not of yourself. Not from family heritage, or a good school, or a good education, or a nice job. No, it's by grace. Grace, always. It's a vivid picture in contrast to Cain. And the central point of salvation is surely this, that it restores unity between us and Jesus, and that can only find its expression between us and each other. You have no right to be indifferent to your fellow brother and sister and simply walk out of church and not speak to people. One of the things that the bishop um, of Rwanda that came here to speak, we had lunch with him at the Wallaces, and one of the things he said, said something like this, you know, you, you have a, a wonderful church. Well, I said, that's interesting, you should say so. And I thought he was going to talk about the great worship and so on and so forth. I said, well, what was it? Well, he said, you know, I've been here two and a half weeks now, and what I've noticed is this, that people didn't want to leave. Isn't that an interesting observation? The people really did talk to each other. We're told all the time to do that. Now, of course, if you're busy you're rushing away, that's fair enough. But it becomes a, a habit. We keep our cards close to ourselves. And we struggle at home on our own. And we have an isolation that begins to impact us. You are to pursue unity. And it finds its focal, focus point between you and Jesus and you and your fellow believer. One final comment before we move on to the second point, and it's this. What unity is not? Now, this doesn't call for a sort of a, a fudge or some superficial compromise where you say, oh, you can't say that. Be careful, you don't. don't do. You can't go through life like that. You are who you are. I am who I am. Be yourself. It's not bland uniformity. Everybody in line. To keep in step with the Spirit often means we're going to be out of step with each other and we have to get into step. When you think about the church for a moment, the nightmare scenario or the dream, which is in your mind? What do you think? 
One of the commentators says this. I want to read it to you because it's very helpful. He says, when the New Testament talks of unity, it does not mean uniformity. We've said that. I think I got my notes that, uh, right. It is unity based on the common belief in the doctrines in chapters 1 to 3 where it's laid out clearly. But there is more to life than just believing the same thing. More indeed. We are not told to be at unity only with those who believe exactly what we believe. Some people think that. That would make a very small church. Then he poses the question, because I know the, uh, uh, this uh, commentator, uh, out of personal experience he says this, do you sometimes look at other Christians and wonder how much you really have in common with them? Answer, sometimes not very much at all. We are such an assorted bunch. We come from different backgrounds and nations. We vary in intellect and achievement, social status and wealth. We represent a whole spectrum of characters, hang-ups and eccentricities, and express widely contrasting likes and dislikes. There are so many differences between us. We really, what really do we have in common then? All the distinctions we have made are temporary. But there are seven eternal realities which possess, we possess in common with all believers everywhere. What are these seven? Well, look, look at the reading so that uh, you can pick them out yourself. Let me read verses 4 to 6 and see if you can spot all seven within the highly crystallized part of Ephesians 4 four to six. Okay? These then are eternal realities which we possess in common with all believers everywhere. What are they? Well, see if you can spot them. Each one is, uh, has, the, uh, has one in front of it. Okay? There is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. One. Our oneness. Oh, the church has a bad track record, we know, of creating criteria and barriers and all that sort of thing. Sometimes it's well meant. Often it isn't. We are to pursue that. The second point, interpersonal relationships. We are preoccupied with church building, aren't we? And we're looking at it and we're thinking how it's going to be and it can be a terrible destruction. We've said, haven't we? And we must keep saying it. The church is people. People are the church. There are plenty of empty, beautiful church buildings throughout Buckinghamshire. The church is people. Our interpersonal relationships are imperative. How are we going to survive? How on earth are we going to survive together? Well, verse 2 is an important key. And Paul seems to summarize, if you look carefully, because what I'm interested in now is that you get into the passage yourself, not so much what I'm saying. In verse 2, he summarizes in the context of unity, right, four qualities we need if we are going to keep unity with each other. And if we don't, there won't be. 
What are they? Okay. The first one, there you see it, humility. Oh, that's a, a tough one, isn't it? Be completely humble. Verse 2. What do we mean? Just very quickly. The quality we need when others disagree with us or we disagree with others. Humility. Do you know, sometimes you might be wrong. Have you thought that? <laughs> I mean, of course. And it is humility, that quality that we need. And even when we have to disagree, why do we have to be disagreeable? What's the first thing? Look at the second. Gentleness. Not how do you see yourself, but how do other people see you when they think about you and me? The quality we need when we know that others are wrong, and sometimes we know that, and may need redirecting. All discipline in the New Testament was never done with a sense of delight in wanting to put people down. It was always done with a view to healing and restoring. And if you enjoy disciplining, whether it's your children or anybody else, then it's the wrong spirit. Gentleness. And look at this third, patience. The quality we need when others fail to respond to our attempts at unity. Patience. And the last, in verse 2, bearing in love. Bearing in love. The quality we need when others sin against us. Perhaps people have said untruths about us. Maybe people have character assassinated us. You may well have experienced that. Bearing in love the quality we need when others sin against us. And unity is seriously impaired or endangered. Are you going to dig in your heels? Or is there going to be a bearing in love? In other words, that ability to look at it from both sides of a disagreement. You remember the famous military strategist uh, Lord Asquith of Oxford said that uh, he wanted his, his uh, leaders um, and the, his officers to have what he called cubital thinking. That you can't see everything from one perspective. You have to move it around a bit. And if you think from all directions... But you know, as Christian people, sometimes we get locked into looking at a truth one way only. That's not very helpful. And in fact, it can be terribly divisive. And you see what we're saying here? Look at it from both sides. And if both sides, could you think of the potential, exercise these qualities? Well, for sure, there will be unity in the church and it will not be destroyed. These four qualities are imperative. I say to you, not only in church life, but in married life. Pity the marriage where somebody refuses to say, I'm sorry, or I shouldn't do that, or I didn't mean that. Please forgive me. And where you can be high-handed. To keep unity with each other. These four things, 
Think about them. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing in love. Humility is the highest value of the kingdom of God and sadly least valued amongst many of the followers of Jesus Christ. Some might even say rarely seen. Is it seen in, in our homes, as a, if you like, as a subculture of God's kingdom? We are to keep the unity of the Spirit. And, of course, the whole point of this is this, that I am to make every effort to keep it. I must make an effort. And actually, I'm not always right. And other people are not always wrong. So let's conclude. As we think about this and its application, let me say, and I've only got six quick headings, Trust me, it's not going to be long. Um, you know when somebody says in conclusion they don't mean it, you think. Right. If we're going to start where we are, okay, well, let's resolve. May I ask you to do that? I know we're different. We, we, we are different. Some are shy, some are not, some are out extrovert, some are... Yeah, we know all that stuff. We are who we are. Okay. You must start where you are. It's no, it's no good saying, well, I'm going to start, you know, like the, the, the Irishman said, what's the best way to Dublin? So I wouldn't start from here. We are where we are. That's it, isn't it? This is where we are. Okay. Number one. Turning up for others. Have you ever done that? Say, no church, it's, it's no, not my church now, I'm not in the, in, the, in the dream, it's the nightmare. It's boring, it's so, you know, all this sort of stuff. Wait a minute. I'm part of the body of Christ. I may not want to go. I'm going for others. That's the outworking of these um, four traits of being filled with the Spirit. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing in love. Secondly, sitting with others. One of the lovely things about coming here, we're sitting all over the place. Now, I, I personally like people sitting in the same place because I can tell who's there and who isn't there. <laughs> but I would hope it's more important than that. But sitting with others, chance for you to talk. What about welcoming others? Actually speaking to people. I heard recently of a, of a student who was trying to find a church and had gone for one month and nobody had spoken to this girl. She really desperately wanted to find a church and eventually stop going. It's a good church. Why don't we welcome people? Why don't we do that? Because it's part of keeping the unity of the Spirit. Imagine somebody coming into your home and you don't speak to them. Fourthly, listening to others. Some are talkers, some are listen listeners. Look, try to listen. See where people are coming from. And the converse, if, if uh, good listeners, bad talkers. Be good talker, bad listener. Let's, let's talk, think about listening and talking and praying for others. I missed a great opportunity at the EMA. I was telling Neil that I had this conversation with a businessman. Uh, and uh, I knew he was a businessman because all of the vicars and pastors were dressed like scruff. That's it. So, so they were, just jeans and sweaters and, oh, yeah. 
I was a bit like that too, not, uh, didn't have a tie and stuff. And here is this, this man, businessman, sitting down, drinking a coffee. And I was supposed to meet some people, they didn't turn up, so I spoke to him and I said this. Um, Do you know what's going on here? He said, I have no idea. Well, I said, uh, would you like to know? Oh, okay. I said, good. <laughs> so I sat next to him and we started talking. And I said, you are surrounded by 1,200 vicars and pastors and church workers of various kinds. I won't tell you what he said. <laughs> and then he told me a story. He said, you know, my business failed. And I left my children and my home and I flew to Spain and I wanted to end my life. The police were looking for me. My wife didn't know where I was and I'm sitting in this restaurant cafe place and somebody starts talking to me. He said he was an Elvis impersonator, a bit of a God type person and something else. They talked, this man left, he stayed and then this man who left came back again ten minutes later and he said, you know, I sense you're a very troubled man and uh, I just want you to know, I want you to know this, it's going to be okay. That's all he said. And he left. And that man said, you know, this sounds stupid, doesn't it? It's like a burden fell off my shoulders. And he left the restaurant and he was down the road and he thought, I haven't paid my bill. And he thought to himself, now then, whereas before he might have said, well, I'm not coming back again, even Stephen. He went back and paid the bill and spoke to the man and uh, he related this story to me. And I said to him, you know, God has angels whether they are an Elvis impersonator, they don't have wings. Maybe, I implied perhaps he was talking to one, but that was bridge too far. But, do you see the point? If you are willing, you know, there are needy people, aren't there? And you don't have to be very clever. Now this, and so I asked this man finally, I said, look, did, did this chap... Um, suggest you go to church? He said, no. Well, I said, look, I would be remiss. I said, I truly believe. I live by this and I will die by this. And it's this. That Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go again, I will receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you will be also. I said, I'm living in the light of that, and I will die in the light of that. And I said, I'm not sure about you, but, you know, why don't you find a church? And he said, oh, well, he said he would. And I said, look, are you religious? He said, no. Have you been to church? No. Why, why not? Just for my interest. Do you know what he said to me? I just, and he was a very nice, very polite man, I just sensed that it's terribly boring. That's what he said. He wasn't being cynical at all. He said, you could be wrong. Could be wrong. Keeping the unity of the Spirit isn't simply agreeing with people. It isn't simply dotting our I's and crossing our T's. It's much more than that. It is believing that we are kingdom people and wherever God places us, he calls us to respond to his spirit. We need to do that.
with each other, in the church, out of the church, at work, at home, where we socialize, where we play, where we live, move and have our being, all of that. So there's the sentence. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. Are you doing that? And if not, will you resolve to do it? To make every effort. And who's to know how blessed our church and our homes and our relationships are going to be. We're going to sing our final hymn together which focuses on In Christ Alone. This is a great uh, song that seems to bring together all the things that we were thinking about. In Christ Alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, depths of peace, where fears are stilled, when striving cease. There, being a peacemaker, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ, I stand. Let's do that and stand and sing together.